We're going to be looking at a passage from Matthew chapter 4, and this has been a passage that God has been using to minister to me a great deal over the last uh, few months now, and um, I'm really excited to to be able to be with you all this evening and to be able to share God's Word with you, and I hope that you have a Bible, so please open it up to Matthew chapter 4. If you got on your phone, do that, and I'd love for you to be able to look look at it. Follow along and let's try to really absorb not what I'm saying, but what God is going to say through his word tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and read it first. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship the Lord, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let me pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to share your word with Fairfax Bible Church. Lord, I pray now that your spirit would continue to move. Uh, through, the, through our worship and now through our hearts and minds as we look at your word. Father, I pray that my words and what I say would be completely in line with your truth. Lord, and, and anything that I fumble or, or mess up or misspeak or am not clear, Lord, that your spirit would make up for that. But Lord, more than anything, Lord, we want to know more of you as as we just experience through prayer and in, in after the worship, Lord, we want to experience and know you, Lord. Our hope is in, in nothing of this world. Our hope is in you. Lord, you are our portion forever. So, Lord, I pray that this time would be a time where we just all get reoriented around that and closer to knowing you in a more full and complete way. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so what makes a person valuable? How do you determine the value of someone? Now, of course, we all would say culturally, right, we say people are all extremely valuable. Now, of course, if you're Juan Soto and you can bat 300 in the Major League Baseball and hit 35 home runs and drive in 120 RBI every year, you're worth can be determined by a contract, right? You're going to get an offer, hopefully, from the Washington Nationals for a significant amount of money. That's the monetary value of 
that ability, that athletic ability. But what are some of the other things that we value in our society? And I think there are three things that often dictate what we value, not only in other people, but more importantly, in ourselves, that we value about ourselves. And it's three Ps, our possessions, our performance, and our popularity. And based on those things, we determine our value. And I think that what we see from this passage completely blows that up. That that and none of those things determine our value. There is something else that determines our value. I read a couple of months ago a book by Peter Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I highly recommend it. And he highlights these three Ps. Again, performance, popularity, and possessions. And he highlighted for me and, and opened up for me something from this passage that I had not seen before. And, and God's really been using and ministering this passage for me significantly. And, and let's just go ahead and dive into that. The first four verses, I'm going to have points on the screen, but not, hopefully not just yet. Um, the first four, four verses, look at what he says there. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So his purpose here in going out into the wilderness is so that he can be tested. He's going to be tested and tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And I just love how often the Bible is just so matter-of-fact, right? He was hungry. Not he was very hungry, he was extremely hungry. He was hungry. It's just matter-of-fact. Now, the longest I've ever gone, I think, was maybe two weeks on a, on a fast. 40 days, of course, he is extremely hungry. It's body is desperate for food and he's physically weak at this point and and by the way just as a note anytime we're physically weak we're also more vulnerable to temptation I believe we're, we're in places you know where the, whether the, whatever the weakness might be a health weakness an emotional weakness whatever the weakness might be we're down and we're more vulnerable so Satan strikes that moment at mo- that moment verse 3 it says and the tempter came And said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is the first of three temptations. Now, I don't know about you, but I have always struggled with what exactly is he being tempted by right here. And, and I, I, I kind of had always assumed that, well, you know, God wanted him to fast. And so the disobedience or the temptation to sin is to stop the fast, disobey God, stop the fast, use your miraculous ability, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. Because obviously if you, if you have that ability, if you have that power, I don't think it's necessarily sin in itself to do that and perform that kind of miracle. And even think about the story of Elijah. There's a point in Elijah's story where God led him out into the wilderness. And remember how God fed him with ravens. He's out in the middle of nowhere just next to a creek. And God has ravens flying in to feed him. But what exactly is the temptation here? And then also I've always been a little confused by his answer. Okay, read his, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I, I totally agree. Do not disagree with that. 
I need the word of God for my soul. The word of God is far more important for, to me for my eternal, eternal soul and my eternal life, my eternal being, than one meal, right? But imagine yourself on a desert island. Like you, you've been shipwrecked and you're on the sandbar and there's nothing on there. You're surrounded by ocean and somebody flies over and they drop you a pair, care package. You're super hungry. You open it up and it's a Gideon's New Testament Bible. And there's a little note that says, sorry I couldn't get you the whole Bible. We'll send that in a couple of weeks, but this New Testament will get you by in the meantime. I mean, again, I'm thankful and I love God's Word, but if you don't have food outside of a miracle... You die, right? That, that's the way our bodies are designed. They're designed to need food. So it was always like, what exactly is the temptation? What's going on here? And this is where Peter Scazzaro really helped me to, to zone, get in on what he's going after here. Because space, uh, pay special note to the temptation, verse 3. The temptation isn't about the stones and loaves, he says, if you are the son of God, the temptation is to prove himself by performing. Keep in mind that at this point in Matthew, Jesus has done nothing. He hasn't done a single thing yet. The, Satan is challenging him like, if you're really the son of God, prove it. Perform to show your value. Perform to show your value. His answer is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what was the last word that Jesus heard from the Father? Just go right up to the very end of chapter 3. Right at the end of chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus. Verse 17 says, a voice from heaven, the Father speaking to the Son. He says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus does not need to prove himself by performing. Because he is confident in the love of the Father. He is free from having to perform. To prove that he's the son of God. He doesn't need to prove to anybody that he's the son of God. To affirm his value. You know, like to whip out his resume and show, hey, here's all the reasons that you should respect me. Here's all the reasons that you should listen and, 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 and pay attention to me and value what I say and what I think and want to be with me and be around me. None of that. His value is completely affirmed in the love of of the Father. So first point, if you're taking notes, my value is based on God's love for me, not my performance. My value is based on God's love for me, not my performance. And the question is, do I believe that? Now, <clears throat> I'm going to build on that here, but I think a, there's a logical question that now you might be thinking right now. And that is, okay, the Father loves the Son. I get that. The Father completely loves the Son. I get that. The Son doesn't have to prove himself by performing to the Father. I get that. But what about me? What about you? Let me show you. Hold your finger in Matthew 4 and jump over to John 17. 
John 17, we're going to look at, starting at verse 20. John 17, verse 20. This is the end of what's called the upper room discourse. From chapter 13 through 17, Jesus is giving a lecture and teaching his apostles the day before he goes to the cross. All of chapter 17 is a prayer. Jesus praying. The content of his prayer is phenomenal. He starts off by praying for his disciples and his apostles. And then in verse 20, look what he says. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the, 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 the apostles, disciples that are with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, Christian, you're sitting here because someone else told someone else who told someone else who told you and you believed. So this right here, this part of this prayer is for us. He's particularly praying for us. And then he, he gives them the prayer. And, and here's the content of his prayer. It's, he prays that we would be one. That we would be unified. And then he gives some reasoning and some logic for why. Why do I want to see that? In verse 23 he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. And here's his reasons. He's got two of them. Number one, so that the world will know that you sent me. In other words, this oneness and this unity that we have in fellowship and relationship in small groups and as a church is an apologetic proof to the world that the Son was sent by the Father. That's number one. And then here's the, here's the big one. Number two, and the Father loved them, meaning us, even as you loved me. In other words, he's praying that we would be one so that our oneness would be a proof to the world that the Father loves us with exactly the same love that the Father has for the Son. The Father loves you, Christian, with the same love that he has for the Son. Jesus doesn't need to prove himself, his value, by performing. And neither do we, for exactly the same reason. Because the Father loves him. He says, my beloved, my beloved, how much does the Father love the Son? I mean, do you, do you doubt that the Father loves the Son? I mean, that's easy to comprehend, right? I mean, that's easy to understand that the Father completely loves the Son. The Father loves you exactly the same way, is what he's saying there in John. Your per personal value is not based on your per performance. It is based on God's love for you. But so much of our culture is based on our performance, right? I mean, even like kids meet for the first time in a playground. What are some of the first questions that kids ask each other? It's about pecking order. How old are you? What grade are you in? You know, what's one of the first questions that we ask one another when we meet? You know, what do you do? Right? And that's, that's a reasonable question to get to know someone. How do you spend your life working and those kind of things? But, I mean... <laughs> I mean, there's been times, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the fact sometimes that I get to say I'm a pastor. There's other times where I'm like, okay, I feel a little embarrassed saying this to this person because I know they're going to look down on that. 
and, I'm, and I want to be valued, and I want to find my value in what I do. I want to be able to see and point out, to, oh, look at all the things that I've accomplished, and that is proof that I am valuable. Let me give you another idea, and I don't know if this would actually work, but if somebody says to you, what do you do? You could maybe try this. I enjoy the love of God. That's what I do. I enjoy the love of God. That's what I do with my life is I enjoy the love of God. Oh, oh you're asking me how, how I got pay, get paid. Okay, that's, well, that's different. And I try to bring that into experiencing, enjoying the love of God. And, and guys, that gives us, when we are certain of our value based on his love, not our performance, it frees us so much. It frees us to get out there and take risks and be bold. And I mean, because you're not worried about falling on your face. You know, you don't have to be certain that's going to be exactly right in business or work or whatever it might be. Because I know I've got a Heavenly Father that loves me and is rooting for me. I remember one of my favorite um, Christian musicians is Andrew Peterson. Are you guys, anybody Andrew Peterson fans here? Yeah, he's awesome. And uh, I heard him in an interview, I don't know when it was, a year ago or so. And, you know, he's, he's not like top-tier Christian artist, but he's pretty significant. And he's, most of the songs he writes are really awesome. And uh, he's been touring professionally, I think, for 25 years or something like that. And um, he, uh, I heard him in this interview, he was talking about how, like, he, so when he's, like, touring around, he's, like, in a town, he'll, like, have a concert on a Saturday night, and he'll spend the night. He said oftentimes, like, a local church will invite him to come do, like, a special music. And, and you guys know, you guys have been to different churches in your life, and you know that there's some churches that just stylistically and culturally, they're a little, like, more reserved. And just as a matter of culture and style, they don't, they don't clap. They just sit, somebody, you know, does a, a performance, and they, they receive it, and they nod their heads, or they say amen, maybe, but there isn't a clap. And that's just culturally the way they are. But he said that, he's like, I have been performing around the world for a couple of decades. I'm performing songs that I know people love because they're buying all my records. This church has invited me to play one of my most beloved songs. I know they love the song. But then I finished the song, he said, and just there's that momentary, like, second where there's no clap. And I didn't realize there wasn't going to be a clap, he'd say. And I wonder, did I fail in some way? Did I not perform well enough? And just, so even a guy like Andrew Peterson, who's so successful in his craft, he still wrestles with finding his value in his performance. You want to be loved. You want to know that you've got somebody behind you cheering for you and pushing you on and saying, you got it, you got it, I love it, I love it, keep going. I mean, think about you know, those of you guys with younger kids. It's like, isn't it awesome just to see your kid out on the baseball field or the soccer field running around? I mean, there's just something, especially when they're so young, that's just so exciting. You just love it. It's like, go, 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 go. You're rooting for them no matter what because they're yours and you love them. That's the way God treats us, and that's the way that God loves us. My value is based on God's love, not my performance. Do you believe that? It's a question of faith. 
Second one, my value is based on what God says of me, not my popularity. Look at the second temptation, starting at verse 5. Then the devil took him to, a holy, to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on, the, and on their, hand, their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. I mean, doesn't he want to get the word out? Doesn't he want lots of people to hear and experience and know who he is? And Satan's like, hey, let's go up on top of the pinnacle of the temple. There'll be tons of people all around. And, you know, in those days, the temple was super grandeur. It was amazing. And, and all the crowds around would see him up there. And then there would be this gasp as he jumps off. And then, wow, angels rescued him. The temptation is to find value in what people think of him. You know, I think this is such a massive problem in our society. I mean, popularity it drives so much of our culture. I mean, think about social media. Uh, you know, there, there are so many great things about social media in, in terms of being able to stay connected with family and relationships and sharing what's going on. But so much of our social media is completely hardwired with this sickness in our culture of popularity. You know, I want to be affirmed. I want to be liked. Get that little heart. See those notifications popping up. You know, and so often I think we look at social media and we forget that what we're looking at in other people's lives is the highlights of their lives, right? It's not a, typically a stream of consciousness. It's the best thing they thought of this week. And it's not everything that's going on in their life. It's the photos of their dream vacation that they took once. And, you know, and everything is the highlights of their life. And that's fine. I mean, that's normal. We don't share all of our dirty stuff on, on social media. But then we trick ourselves into thinking that their highlights are their normal life. And my normal life should be more like that in terms of highlights. We start thinking about, I'm not popular. I don't have all those people saying those things about me. It becomes this vicious cycle. We find inadequacy in our life, in our appearance, fear of missing out, cyberbullying, especially among young people, is all about popularity. Instead of basing my value on what people think, I should base my value on what God thinks. What does God think of you? Again, back to what Jesus hears from the Father in verse 17. He says, I am well pleased. I am well pleased. Jesus is popular with God. And so am I. And so are you. It doesn't matter what other people think, other than that you care about them, right? But that's not how you find your value. Your value is based not on what other people think of you, what your parents or your mom or your dad or whoever past person in your life, 
even that inner voice that you hear screaming at you when you get up in the morning, that voice does not matter. The voice that determines your value is your Father in heaven who says, I am well pleased. Colossians 3.3 says this, For you have died, Christian, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in Christ with God. So when God says to the Son, I am well pleased, he is saying that of you too. Because it's all together, it's linked together. And what is the effect of that? I mean, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament that I think just shows so much of the color and the emotion of God's pleasure in his people is Zephaniah 3.17. You may have heard it before. The Lord your God is in your midst. Even where two or three are gathered together, Jesus said, I am there with you. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God is so pleased with you, Christian, in Christ, that when he looks at you, he just busts out singing. He is just so excited about, he is so pleased with you. You are popular with God, so it doesn't matter what other people say or what they think about you. And again, the question comes back to, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that your value is based on what God says about you and not what others say? God says to you, I am well pleased. Your value is not based on your performance. Your value is not based on what other people say about you. Your popularity does not determine your value. It's based on what God says about you. And then finally, my value is based on belonging to God, not my possessions. My value is based on belonging to him, not what belongs to me. And this is, I think, the third great temptation that we all face, that we base our value on what we possess. We measure our value. You know, and, and part of what makes this hard too is because you, you can actually measure your, your value in, in possessions, right? An accountant could look at your life and tell you your monetary value to the penny, right? That's technically possible to do. And we spend so much time valuing clothing, cars, where we live, we have dream cars, we have dream houses, we have dream vacations. All of those things are determined in a monetary value. You know, later in Matthew, in multiple times, Jesus confronts money and the power of money and how money is something that you serve. And when you serve it, and he responds to Jesus or to Satan with the same idea that when you serve it, you stop serving God. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? So an accountant could tell you your value if you had the entire world. He might be able to add that all up. 
But God says, that's a loss. Because what does it profit to have all that but forfeit your soul? You know, and through faith in the gospel, we have been adopted. He possesses me. And what, is it, what does the father say to the son at the end of chapter 3? He says, you are my son. You are my son, my beloved son. And through faith in the gospel, we're adopted. We become his children. And he says to you, you are my son. You're my daughter. You are my child. I love 1 John 3.1. Listen to this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. He doesn't uh, save us on the cross to get us to become just servants for him, right? He actually adopts us as children. God possesses me in that family kind of way. The father says to the son, you're my son. The father says to you, you're my child. It doesn't matter what I possess. It matters who possesses me. But do I believe that? Again, speaking of accountants, you can measure someone's actual net worth, right? What is the net worth of your life to God? How would you, anybody, any investors and people, business kind of people in the room, you know how to measure the value of a company, especially if it's a publicly traded company? It's very easy. All you do is you go to the market and figure out what's the last share price that was sold. And then you take that price and you multiply it by the total number of shares, and that is the current market value of that company. You know, you go to some restaurants, right, and the, you see, like, really nice restaurants where it'll say, like, market value. <laughs> you know, it's like, ooh, this is probably not a restaurant for me. Um, and what does that mean? That means, well, the cost of the lobster is whatever the market is today for lobster is what that means, right? So what is the market value of you to God? What is your life worth to him? Well, who paid a price? Let's check that price tag. What does the price tag say? It says the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus is the current market value of your life. <laughs> the value of your life to God is incalculable. It is way more than even your mother says about you. <laughs> it is way more than Mother Teresa says about you. It is the worth of the Son of God. That is the current market rate of your life. 1 Corinthians 6 says that you were bought with a price. That price tag is Jesus Christ. So Satan is waging a full on assault today, I think, on all these questions of identity and especially these questions of your value. And people are searching for value every single day. Satan is coming at us to challenge our value. You aren't valuable because you didn't perform in this way. That you are not as popular as those other people. That you don't possess these other things. And we need to be reminded over and over, that those things do not determine my value. My value is determined by what God 
says about me. That I am his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. That is my value. Christian, that is your value. I hope that I've been clear in laying this out that I don't think you can argue with that. It's just a question of do you believe it? That's really the question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Or do you believe these lies that Satan is throwing at us that no, 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 you are not valuable because you didn't do this, you failed to do that, you didn't live up to this expectation. They don't like you. They said these things about you. You don't have this nice car or that house or whatever it might be. Satan wants to do everything he can to make us value ourselves based on those things. And that is not at all true. I think that one of the big things that we can do as Christians is to really spend more time every single day just bathing in the love of God. And being reminded over and over, not just building our knowledge, which we need to do as well, but bathing our minds in the fact that God loves me. That God loves me completely. I want to highlight a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the people in uh, Ephesus from Ephesians. And um, We're going to do this as a closing, and what I'd like for you all to do is, if you could just maybe just bow your heads, and I'm going to read this passage to you. If you could just bow your heads, and while they're doing that, if the band could go ahead and come on up, and I'm going to just walk through this prayer. The Apostle Paul prays to the people in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus, and this is his prayer in chapter 3, starting at verse 16. He says, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power, strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So he's like, man, we need some power. We need some strength. We need the spirit working into our inner being. And here's the prayer, the actual prayer. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in Love, not rooted and grounded in performance, popularity, or possessions, but rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wants us to be so filled with his love that it goes beyond knowledge. You're actually experiencing it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let's let's resolve to spend time with Jesus with the goal of experiencing his love. God, I want more than just the knowledge. I want to feel it. Heavenly Father, Please fill everyone here with all of your fullness. Jesus, dwell in our hearts through faith. Jesus, we believe that our value is not based on our performance. It is based on your love for us. Our value is not based on our popularity. It is based on what you say about us. 
You are well pleased. Our value is not based on how much we possess. It is based on that we are possessed by you. We are your children.